Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's God and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kailsriver, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis, easing crisis, I will say. Um, and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. We've just been having a lovely conversation about education. It was Education Sunday last week. Um, but I think we're going to have a few more lessons in this conversation. How are you doing today, sir? Good day, Lindsay. Very well. It's, it is my off day, so I'm far more relaxed and not uh, churned up by too much busyness. Had a good week with lots of um, ministry that needed to be done. I was, I took the risk this week, uh, as with last week, to go and visit some people at their homes. I'm still very tentative about that mm-hmm. because of the COVID realities. And so I tend not to stay too long, um, as you know, um, because of the, the closed spaces where some yeah. people are. But it was good to just make a connection and interesting because um, uh, um, some people, um, uh, you know, haven't seen me and I haven't seen them for about two and a half years now. Uh, they really just listen to my voice if they are tuned in. So it was it was great, greatly refreshing to be able to visit a home of a, of a parishioner again. Like there's a, a general feeling that things are opening up um, as like I'm just speaking from my perspective, like I've done everything I can to protect myself and my family uh, from this virus. Um, I'm a COVID survivor. I am fully vaccinated. Um, still, for me, it's like I am taking more assured steps outside of the cocoon that we've been existing in. Um, knowing that I've done everything that I can. Um, and yeah, it's it's nice to to be out and about again. It's nice to to see people getting back to not necessarily the old routines, but you know, back into the swing of life and living life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will be Bishop um, Mark just reminded us again of, you know, protocols hasn't changed. Um, in the new year, we're still practicing what we were practicing last year yeah. under alert level one. And in that, um, she was asking us again to encourage people who have not been vaccinated to become vaccinated. Yes. Uh, yes. Because um, the reality is that COVID has not left the playground just yet. And um, I believe from listening this morning to a broadcast that there is now a new strain attached to the Omicron. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's the in America that I heard about, and then the one that in France that has another name that came up a couple of weeks ago. Mm. So, and I, but at the back of my mind is always the the World Health Organization's um, take on these things. We're making a mistake if we're treating Omicron as mild, because over 2,000 people in America dies on a daily basis of COVID, according to yeah. the yeah. received. I must say, you know, I take great, uh, great pride in the way our country has managed citizens as well as uh, health professionals and all yeah. of that. Yeah. We have kept it down to a minimum, but as you well know, uh, 
the death of one person is always too much. Uh, yes. You know, so we still have in the region of about 500 people um, succumbing. Um, and although we our, our nationwide is not that huge in terms of the hundreds of thousands, we, we just in the thousands. That's still too much. So, and then I, I don't know if I shared with you last week, but I had heard a report from on Cape Talk, uh, a guy who does his journalism in Africa. I don't know his name. Mm-hmm. He keeps us informed about what goes on in the wider Africa. And he was saying that according to the stats given him, only 7% of all citizens living on the African continent, I think it's about 58 countries, I'm not, I, I stand corrected, only 7% are vaccinated. I don't know what the infection rates are, but that's what the... Um, yeah. inoculation ones are and 42 percent of our country uh citizens are or inhabitants are but then again there's also uh what dr keith Clutus said a couple of weeks ago some people have only gone in terms of the of the of the pfizer some people have only gone for the first one have not gone back for the second yes. one so <laughs> to do that as well so given what our church leadership has said you know it's something we need to continue speaking about and i try and do that on um on a weekly basis mm. um and and you well know that this has been our message since the vaccine has come out um, and since we've been living with COVID, to make sure that you keep yourself and your family safe, because once you yeah. do that, you're doing a service to others as well. Yeah, and that's kind of the, the key thing, is that willingness to participate in a an action that benefits the people around you and not as much you. But that's enough about that. It is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. The theme you have selected is stand with us in the conflict strengthen our resolve to bear with joy the cost of our discipleship. We will get into what that cost is in the conversation and please call our minds together with the colleague. Let us pray. O God, the strength and refuge of all who serve you. When we are brought to the time of trial, stand with us in the conflict and strengthen our resolve to bear with joy the cost of our discipleship. We make this prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So the gospel is according to Luke chapter 4, verses 21 to 30, picks up exactly where we left off last week. Jesus is back in his hometown. He is riding a wave of public support. He's been through Syria. He's been through, he's traveled from Jerusalem all the way back, now going to make his way to the cross. And he's reading in the synagogue and everyone is amazed and everyone's looking at him. And he's just said that today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he continues to say, because people are like, yo, but isn't this Joseph's son? And he's like, doubtless you will quote me this prov- quote to me this proverb. Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And then he goes on 
uh, to speak about Elijah and a whole bunch of other things. And then they march him out of the synagogue and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. And then he just like rolls past them uh, because I don't know, maybe he snapped his fingers. But the point here is, what is the cost of discipleship? Is it having a contrary view and trying to explain that to your loved ones, to your family, to your community, and them being upset and persecuting you? You know that I have uh, read a couple of books on on people looking into it in depth uh, about the cost of discipleship. Mm. And Jesus said anybody that, because it's about following Jesus, the word discipleship in the Christian um, context is about hearing the call of Jesus to follow him. Mm-hmm. You remember calling the disciples around the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, and they respond with immediacy. And of course, they were at that stage not sure of what the impact of following him is, whilst there were very glamorous moments for them. So to be part of that inner circle, Jesus did say that if you follow me, you've got to take up your cross to follow me. So when uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, um, whom, whom uh, Hitler imprisoned, um, when he wrote the book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, from his prison cells, he said something that was very interesting that many of us sort of think about when we do think about um, discipleship. He said, when God calls a man or when Christ calls a man to follow him, he calls them to die. Mm. And if we're going to follow the cause of Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, that means dying to whatever we, whatever our 10-year and 5-year plan possibly could have been because as we look to the future, we would hope that when we retire, things would be okay. We would have enough finances to support us and all that kind of stuff. Um, and our focus would be on that. That's the silo we would live our lives in. Since silo mm-hmm. was the word we've been talking about from the beginning. But to be able to follow Jesus and to pick up the themes of his teaching and the themes of his life and then speaking them into the, the public sphere you just mentioned earlier on, what cost do we have to pay when we challenged apartheid? Um, if the church stayed quiet, was it truly following Jesus whilst the government was having a party destroying people, oppressing people, imprisoning people, disempowering, disenfranchising, and celebrating racism with whites at the top and blacks at the bottom? If the church continued to stay quiet, and it probably did in terms of what's his name, um, then was he truly following the person and the tenets of God in Jesus Christ? I was reminded when you picked up that Jesus was led out of this, or 
taken out, forced out of the synagogue after making this radical statement according to the people's ears, of Mahatma Gandhi, who came to South Africa because I think it was the Indian um, Congress that uh, wanted him to uh, help them in their cause against apartheid. And he visited the cathedral in Johannesburg, if I have my location correct. And he went in there and he was carried out and said then on the steps of the cathedral, the Jesus of the New Testament is the one I would embrace and follow. And I do. But your Jesus, I don't. Mm. And so what is Gandhi saying about being a disciple of Jesus in that act of, of saying, your Jesus is not inclusive. Your Jesus judges people on the color of their skin. The Jesus of the New Testament doesn't do that. The Jesus of the New Testament is inclusive. The Jesus of the New Testament does not judge people on the color of their skin. Um, your, Je your Jesus is therefore not the Jesus of truth, but my Jesus is Jesus of truth. So looking at the, the person and the values of Jesus, we have to then sacrifice possibly or revise possibly our own philosophy of life. We have to be able to be focused on society. Um, we hear out of people like Desmond Tutu, words like the rebel rouser and the voice of the voiceless. Uh, it's possible that in a non-violent way, we look to Martin Luther King Jr. here and we say, what motivated that man to choose to protest non-violently and to encourage that kind of protest, which was, I think, based on the salt march that Gandhi had, um, mm. you know, as an example of protest against um, an oppressive regime. Um, you, you, following Jesus, therefore, then, is uh, there's there's personal costs involved. Um, Following Jesus would mean that some of the things I think may give me a better life probably won't, but I'm assuming that from a materialistic point, it would make my life more comfortable and all of that kind of thing. But following Jesus is far more radical. It's, it's the essence of our person caught up in the spirit of Jesus to work for the good of others, to the glory of God. And that comes at personal cost. Yeah, I, I, interesting you say that because um, I was going to ask, I had a question in my notes about like, why do we always focus on the sacrifice and then moving into like the, the personal, sac well, the societal sacrifice, the community sacrifice, the family sacrifice is inconsequential when it comes to the personal sacrifice that you have to make. Uh, because if you are a disciple of a certain teaching, um, if you will go with me on this experiment and <laughs> reduce Jesus to a mere philosopher, um, you then have to, your true disciple will embody everything, all the tenets of the 
belief, the faith, the whatever you want to term it. That's why, like, I enjoy the idea of stoicism. Um, I will identify many parts of me, of my character, um, being derivative of, of stoicism, but I will never identify directly as a stoic because I lack the self-discipline. <laughs> the same like when I wanted to be a Rasta um, growing up uh, and then and then figured out that they were vegan. <laughs> and that scared you. That didn't jam nicely with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like it's 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 that practice that I feel often gets it's that cost of discipleship that often gets overlooked because we all into the glamour of like having contrary views and like being a rebel rouser and we get lost in that part and don't do like the basic steps of actually living that discipleship. Can I can I just recall something we had spoken when we were not on air yet? Yeah. Um, the person that I said lived by lived as a third by the rule of the third order of of French Francis mm. and uh, uh, F- Father Nolan uh, Tobias, who was rector of the parish before me, yeah. um, was a Franciscan monk. And then, when he left the, that holy orders to become a clergy person, he was the person who had been the chaplain to the third order of Franciscans in the southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I knew I knew about this because because I know Nolan for a long time now, but it came to be more apparent in my Fishuk experience because Nolan was my neighbor at Simonstown. And in the Fishuk parish, there were third order Franciscans. And they broke it down in terms of following Jesus uh, based on the example of St. Francis of Assisi who came out from a very wealthy family and chose to turn his back on that where his rule of life was, we must live simply so that others may simply live. And the focus there was to recognize that they are poor people who don't have an existence at all, a proper life, because they don't have, they don't have the benefit of having food stored up. They don't have the benefit of, uh, you know, even ensuring they'll make the day out. And mm-hmm. so St. Francis believe that Jesus is like foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. When, when people ask to follow Jesus, that's what he said. Yeah. You know, so, so, so that the, sim- the simplicity of life ensures that whatever resources I may have extra, I can ensure others would have. And that comes at personal cost because I could have used all of those resources on my own life. And I suppose I'd probably sit with the bill of wastage far more than any, you know, anything else I would have. So, yes, we need to break it down to that common denominator because that in itself, once lived, is radical to society and to hierarchical structures and patriarchal structures that we that 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 we are forced to to live with. I remembered uh, there was a there was a, a a bishop in the church in Europe who was asked by the king to supply the government with all the wealth of the church, so the gold and the silver and all that kind of things. And what did he do? He took all the people, 
to 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 the king and the king said what's this he said well you wanted the wealth of the of the church years here is the wealth of the church it's the mm. people of the church so so that was the most radical following following jesus that is most radical jesus's focus was on people yeah and but now lindsay when you focus on people and the and the contexts that we are living under you can't help but become one who challenges the system hmm. once you see what the system does to people you yeah. you cannot keep quiet once you once you binding up their wounds you need to say what caused the wound yeah where is the self inflicted or has the system in uh, enforced this upon this person or persons or community so you begin to then come to where you need to be a voice that is that is radical for justice mm. Mm. and that's part of the call to discipleship and that 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 cost only escalates uh, during the good times because uh, like like I've uh, voiced before on this podcast, um, Christianity sometimes indulges the idea of suffering a little bit too much, um, and the lessons there's always the lessons that you learn from suffering, but there's never a focus on what you do and how to conduct yourself in the good times. You know, uh, mm. people are, are always like. It's easy to to run to God when, um, when you know the bond isn't getting paid this month and you don't have a hope of of how to do it, um, and then you go down on your knees and pray and you put it in God's hands and Jesus takes the wheel for you and all that stuff and you give up all of your personal responsibilities because God will provide that that lovely idea that I I despise so much um, because I I see it as a crutch that that people use and it it. It gives up too much of your personal agency, and it erodes, I think, philosophically, it erodes your sense of self, your confidence in your own abilities when you keep on um, outsourcing uh, the the source of your of your capabilities uh, to some some idea. Uh, but but the, the can I just the, yeah. Can I just respond to that and just yes. say that that's why I'm I'm looking again at the the theme which comes from the colleague. We stand with us in the conflict, so we do need some support, but we're not running away from the conflict. We're handing over the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the prayer is saying. Stand with us in it, and when we say stand with us, you know I'm I'm a firm in the most simplistic part of our um, liturgy is when we say to each other, the Lord is with you. Mm. Now that he is there, what becomes possible with your life? And it's not to outsource your responsibility because the next line says, now that we're standing, you're standing with us and we recognize our conflict, our struggle, whatever it is we faced with, we need strengthening of our resolve. So it's again a sense of taking responsibility and not mm-hmm. handing it over to, you know, uh, and then uh, handing over to God and, and God will take the wheel and you don't have to do that. No, no, no. God takes the wheel with you as the driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to bear with joy the cost of disciples. So, yes, I may need to 
in my following of you, I need to be able to say that uh, there's things I need to dispense of. I need to let go of it. I'm truly going to follow a path that will help me resolve, uh, strengthen my resolve as I'm challenged in this life or as we are challenged in this life. So that for me, you know, does click with what you were saying. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't give up your responsibility, but rather strengthen our resolve because we must mm -hmm. take responsibility for it. Yeah, and then I think the, the, the important thing is when things are going well to never forget that kind of discipleship. Like, um, how do you handle yourself when you are celebrating your achievements, you know? Um, and like Jesus, uh, the, the life of Jesus, Jesus's example um, says that you should share freely with, with everybody and, you know, acknowledge the people one one thing I, I like about the Jesus journey towards um, Nazareth in the first half of, of his of, of the gospel is he identifies opportunities to celebrate people, to to uncover their worth. Like you look at the woman in the well at, at the well, um, all those all, all of the people he encounters, there's always a a story of him celebrating their awesomeness, you know? And then, like, in the back off, on the back nine of his journey to the cross, um, it, it becomes a little bit more self-centered. Um, he becomes a lot more self-centered in his teaching. But, I mean, the outside pressures also dictate that because then he had a lot more scrutiny from the Sanhedrin and the Romans and everything. He was under a lot more, and he had to defend himself a lot more uh, defend this order that he has built up. Well, look, I find it very interesting that this all happens in what could be the designated space of worship. Yeah. And so in one way, this is like a cleansing of the synagogue, cleansing of the mindset of people, mm. religious people. He comes and says, this reading is fulfilled in your hearing. He realizes people may have spoken well of him, but then they come to this conclusion, but oh, who do you think you are? You're only the son of Joseph. Yeah. So yeah. there his identity is challenged. Mm. So if you're just the son of De Joseph, so Jesus goes on to say, you know, you would know that. Isn't it fascinating that in the church, we, we, we seem to think that the service is meant to be so perfect that we don't, we're not challenging the mindset, the heart set, the life, not just of the people sitting in the pews, but those of us that are preaching our own mindsets, mm -hmm. uh, because we develop mindsets that protect what we do. And that's not the way of, of Christ as far as I, um, because many of us are clothed in the white robes to cover up our own nakedness. Mm our own um, sense of realizing, you know, our humanity, Jesus has covered our humanity, and that's the hope brought to the service. But we mustn't, real, mustn't deny what is on the, on the un, under uh, that all. So in the synagogue, in this space of worship, in this place where people seemingly come to worship God collectively, radical challenges have to be dealt with on all levels.
Because when you think of the scriptures and the reading and what they teach, when you think of what happens at communion, when you think of what happens at prayer, there is no way that there's a sense in which you must be left the same. Mm. You're called into a deeper life of discipleship, or you can resist that if you want to. So I like these stories where the religious faction, the religious order is shaken up, Mm. is disturbed. Like with with COVID, we're in a state of conflict. We're in a state of conflict because some deny COVID and some, you know, do this. Uh, some, so when we when we reached this 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 crisis, there were some clergy who never offered ministry as if ministry could not offer anything mm-hmm. into a COVID context. That for me was I. That's why I appreciate you. That says we need a platform in this conflict to help. I suppose we were practicing without necessarily knowing the words of this colleague and prayer. <laughs> we were needing to strengthen our resolve because our following of Jesus come at a great cost during the time of COVID, when many of us had to suffer the ills of COVID and thankfully survived it. But of our loved ones and our friends died. Our neighbors died. People died around us. Um, so, so, so we were not just exploring our faith for the sake of it, but maybe that theme really comes down to this. What does discipleship mean? How does following Jesus mean in a time of chaos? And what cost does it come? Yeah, like uh, just reflecting now on, on when when you said that some ministers didn't deliver um, during the time, because uh, like I I can kind of empathize with them because imagine your entire persona is built up on having being able to find a answer in scripture and then. The unthinkable happens, like COVID rips through your parish. You're doing the only church services you're doing is funerals, yeah. <laughs> you know, for like the longest time. Where it's easy to lose your faith in that moment. Whatever philosophy, when your philosophy, your central philosophy gets challenged, where are the answers? You cannot find them. And maybe you can't find them because the source of the answer doesn't exist. And then you live with that kind of existential crisis. But you see, the, I don't know whether you deliberate when you say um, looking for answers in Scripture. Yeah. Because that's not what Scripture is meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And if we only to find the answers in Scripture, then what, what would be following Jesus to the cross means from the manger to the cross. Mm. Discipleship would have had nothing because all we have to do is to point out there's the answer and you can just do what you want to with the answer. No, it is discovering. It is reading to discern what could God be saying to us through the scriptures in a time such as this. 
it's 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 listening together and then seeking what we could discern as a way to take the next step to address the situation. So, for example, in a time such as this, we were called to empathize. Mm -hmm. um, so empathy was challenged to grow the meaning of it, the expression thereof. What is compassion meant? Yeah. Um, what us walking in another person's footsteps? I don't know what to say to another person who's lost a loved one. Even though I may have lost loved ones, mm. I'm still dealing with the mystery of that loss. Is there answers? No, but there are discoveries. If I deeply reflect, if I take the journey, if I am a disciple. Um, you were saying Jesus, the closer he got to the cross, seemed to be more focused on self. Well, the closer you get to a challenge like that, obviously you have to prepare yourself. You have to begin to understand that whatever decision you make continues to be the message that you give those who follow you. So when, when parents are in conflict, we would normally like to keep the children out of uh, getting to find how to deal with it. Wouldn't it be better if our children knew the conflict and learned together with us how to I like, deal with it? I like what you're saying here because I believe in killing all holy cows. <laughs> yeah. And then our children will be empowered to deal with it as they grow up. We leave people out. We don't include them. Mm. Um, it's not as if the top knows. The Archbishop doesn't know more than me about COVID. The Archbishop doesn't know more than, than me about how we have to Im implement the practice, but he's in a position where he needs to speak on the behalf of the church. Yeah. I, yeah. Need, I need to ensure that the disciples in St. George's and Mark's and St. Monica's are taking Jesus seriously enough to say, what would Jesus do if there was this particular conflict that we have had to struggle with? What do we learn from him in the scriptures and prayerfully, what is his spirit directing us to do in order to ensure? And I think that the major thing that if he came to redeem, which I believe he did, then it was all about life. How was life to be preserved and cared for and protected mm -hmm. um, responsibly? Like, what does it mean to strengthen our resolve? Do we listen to silence, to science? Do we embrace that in this kind of context? What did we do when we were in the conflict of apartheid? What did we do when HIV and AIDS knocked at our doors? Mm. Discipleship means responsibility, not freedom of choice. It means collective responsibility. It means being able to recognize my behavior impacts my neighbor and my first neighbor would be the people I live with. I can't get it right there. Then what's going to mean on the outside? So, so I think that um, that that it's not about looking for the answer in scripture. It's by reading scripture to discern, to be in the conversation with God through the inspired message uh, from the, the beginning, so that we can have our resolve strengthened and follow in the way that will not be selfish, but will be 
of the highest quality of care and compassion and concern, not standing ready with answers, but standing ready with empathy, love and care uh, and, and justice. Because look, the whole, every, everything in our country, a conflict in the world can become politicized. Yeah. And, and, and the church has got to be the watchman to be able to recognize, as you said earlier on, the DA is supposed to be the party in the political sphere to challenge the, the current governing party. But politicians cannot challenge politicians because they all end up doing the same thing anyway, even though we, the populace, put them there. And I do believe faith-based communities have a responsibility based on the tenets of their faith and their theology of the God that they serve needs to speak up for those who are the downtrodden. But we cannot do that based on the challenge you gave us unless we embody the, the philosophy of compassion, of care, of love, um, of, of, of justice, because words mustn't speak alone if our lives are not registering that we are following this particular way. Yeah, I think I, I just had a little bit of a revelation um, about my, uh, I wouldn't call it disdain, but that's the word that just popped into my head now uh, for for the the journey back from because even in this story you see a pivot um, in Jesus where it's really the first time he's being confronted and I mean it's more personal because it's his hometown his home community um, who know him who saw him grow up it's the first time that he sees a united group of people who are not in awe of his gift. They are not thankful for being healed. You know, they're not falling down at his feet. And everything from here on, when he travels back um, to Jerusalem, he encounters communities that have seen his tricks. And now they're like trying to figure out, okay, so you can do this, but what does this actually mean? Like now you need to start relying on the tenets of your, your philosophy. Um, you have to fall back on the basics. Like I was in a workout this morning in the boxing class and I had sprained my bicep on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, um, because of how my they restructured my arm when I broke my elbow, like my tricep is kind of nailed to, because uh, everything tore, all the ligaments tore uh, when I had that break. So it, it, when it pulls, it pulls against metal. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's literally bolted in place. Um, so it's, it's really painful and I lost my jab and on, uh, like my left, my left hand, my, my ones and yeah, my ones and threes, my jab and my hook were completely gone um, because we did push-ups that aggravated the, the bicep strain. And luckily, I've been in those dark holes before in training where every fiber is telling you to stop and 
succumb to the pain. But then, like, that's a moment where you adapt and you just keep moving. You do what you can. And um, it, it threw my, my, my rhythm completely, so I couldn't really string my combinations together. Uh, but, yeah, we, I still just focused on landing good technique when I was throwing, even with, like, the, the, the disability <laughs> that had befell. Yeah, and it's important, like, when, when you think of the discipleship, like, a lot of people aren't ready to accept the responsibility of sticking to the belief when they are challenged, like, on a fundamental level like that. Yeah, it is very interesting that you mentioned that because as people, I mean, their philosophy was based on the covenant, on the on the Jewish tenets that were taught him, and remember, this was a down top down structure of of of, of uh, spiritual and religious formation. Yeah, uh, the pop the populace generally were not educated and empowered. So scribes and Pharisees, um, Sadducees, people who had some form of expertise and, you know, the bragging of what rabbi they would, that had been their, their teacher, they were disciple of that rabbi who informed them about the meaning of, of what the law was, what the Hebrew Bible had taught them. Mm -hmm. um, but did any of those rabbis say that when, that this may actually, if we're looking to the future, what being taught here is actually pointing somewhere? And of course, John Baptist comes and he's the one that points to Jesus. Hmm. So now they have to make a shift because faith is not embodied only in, a to in the tomes of the, the written order. It was it was the, the, the it was the God who is personal mm. meets us in what for me as a Christian is one of the key tenets of my understanding and my following of Jesus, the incarnation. He embodied my humanity. Um, my, and from a personal perspective, he embodied my humanity. When I was classified to the whims and wishes of another group of people because they feared and they had power, so they did what they want. I had to deal with whatever that meant in terms of my restrictiveness in being human. Mm -hmm. So that classification curbed my humanity, he embodied. Um, so then when I look at the text again, having experienced what I would understand to be a personal faith through prayer and worship, the text helps me to see things. Um, but again, not answers, because this is not a stagnant faith, a cookie jar that you can just go in and find the cookie that uh, um, uh, comforts your, your so, uh, sweet tooth mm. when you're down. It's the journey of a lifetime. It's, the, it's learning to live this every day. It's, it's part of the journey of life in which the, 
person of Jesus and all that he taught, uh, looking back to the to what had come from the Old Testament, that has that enriches and empowers my life to be able to deal not just when life is full of conflicts, but when there seems to be a, 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 a thing about life being all okay. Um, I mean, faith is a mystery. Uh, if if you say philosophy is a mystery, then you know faith is a mystery because even philosophers say things that you really have to go and look deeply yeah. at what yeah. they say because contexts have changed. You can't just apply. Uh, uh, you know, you can't just take the cookie out of the jar. You need to really make sure you understand so that your interpretation is able to be. So I would then understand why they looked at Jesus partly as a charlatan. You know, so this, the, the, the Gospels continue to help us look at this question that Jesus himself asked in Mark's Gospel. Who do people say that I am? And then in John's Gospel, I am. And in Matthew and in Mark, the Synoptic Gospels, the devil's version of if you are so the question around his identity um, becomes the challenge and so it's not easy fixed answers um, but it's sticking to grappling with the text mm. beyond myself and my own uh, sense of 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 where i think Shing should be but to share that in community with one another because, because there's deeper discovery when we are able to share things in community. Yesterday, when I was preaching at the service, I asked myself the question, is this God by his grace speaks to each individual attending worship? But we are a community. Whilst we're seeking what message God may have for my life, the message is bigger than just a response to where I am. An encouragement to where I am. It is therefore, uh, because doesn't it say, in the our is the my. Strengthen our resolve. Hmm. Not just my resolve, but the, uh, the, the my is in the our. And, and it becomes something shared. And so whilst we make our personal responses, it's gathered up in the collective, and in the collective, we're able to give um, a, a message of hope, and the, and that's what 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 I mean. I you haven't touched there, but your favorite Bible text, one one Corinthians thirteen. <laughs> so that what 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 that message of love is all about. It is when we reach as a community through all that, and we are still able to produce love, then we produce hope. Uh, but but it's not it here it addresses the issue of immaturity uh, because because loving is a, is about maturity hoping is about reaching a level of maturity um, faith is about maturing yeah um, and 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 so the question I have is they may see Jesus as the charlatan. But how does Jesus' life embody the tenets of love? Mm. 
in his encounters with people. But yeah, like I, I, I just want to close off on this particular conversation with, with this idea of, of following a philosophy, being a disciple. And um, in, in his discourses, uh, the, the philosopher Epictetus says, philosophy does not promise to secure anything external for man. Otherwise, it would be admitting something that lies beyond its proper subject matter. For as the material of the carpenter is wood, and that of the statuary bronze, so the subject matter of the art of living is each person's own life. Mm. <laughs> which, which, let me just be bold enough to say, the psalmist picks up all the time. I, I have a text that visited me twice now this year. Mm where the psalm is in Psalm 51, verse 6, which is the psalm that we use for confessions, where he says, Lord, you desire truth in the inward man, in the inward being, um, inward being. And then it's as if it's confirmed, therefore teach me wisdom mm. in my secret heart. And when you look at that, it, the whole word desire, what, what's the desires that are crowding my life? Mm. And the one who breathed life into me, should his desire not be in the foremost? Because my desire is often selfish and self-centered. Truth is a word that embodies much mm. of the positive values of life. And yesterday I read from Philippians and Paul's writing from the prison cells to the Philippians. And he says, so my friends, fill your hearts with. So gain on the inward side. So yes, I, I embrace what that philosopher says. Give me his name again. Uh, Epictetus. Yeah. So, so I, you know, um, they, they, I, I think that I, that I would like to just, for me, say I would want to embrace what one office says. Um, you know, you cannot just follow. In discipleship, it is really embracing Christ if we if we choose to be Christians, because otherwise discipleship is empty, yeah. and so Christian Christianity is empty if there is no Christ that we truly follow. But given Gandhi's um, challenge, mm -hmm. if your Christ in your mind puts people out of the church because you based your Christ on a certain set of philosophical principles. Mm -hmm. Is that the Christ of the New Testament? You will think on these things. Now I want to <laughs> take on uh, what was my, my wedding text. Um, there's a special place in my wife's heart, and she is probably going to hate me for this. <laughs> but within 1 Corinthians 13, there is a dichotomy. It's the classic one-two punch of beauty and toxicity. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
So the dichotomy that I would like to bring to your attention lies in this perfect representation of love, being patient and kind and not enviful, and then almost like a backhanded compliment to that line where I've seen this referred to. I've actually heard it with my own ears where a woman whose husband had pushed her to the very edge of her love <laughs> um, through his selfish actions and then said that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, as if to say that because of this quality, she should endure whatever torment, torment this man is putting us in. Well, I refer you back to the previous line. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Hmm. Now, you may embody or embrace rather the person that you love and enter into a special relationship with. But when that person's way of expressing him or herself comes across as being very destructive to the relationship and to your and their person and to the environment around and that the context of the environment you share becomes toxic as per that kind of destructive behavior, be it verbal and or through behavior, um, you don't rejoice in that. You may bear the person, but you should not bear the wrongdoing. And so the truth be told, I and in my encounters with people who end their marriages in divorce, it is not because they don't love that person anymore. In fact, I must admit to you, my lesson has been with people. Love is, in inverted commas, the last thing to go. Mm. Um, and so that's what I would say. And, and, and there's, a, there's, a thing, there's a thing that's... And so I don't think that that text imp implies, you know, the kind of um, advice that you get from Susa Lacedi Ohada. Yeah. yeah, you 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 made your bed, you must sleep on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there is there is there is an whilst they meant that you've got the older generation actually lived by that till death them do part. Mm -hmm. But e is that really the intention of God when toxicity is 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 intentional? When, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that I had an aunt and uncle who were married for probably over 50 years before he died. Their relationship was toxic, I know, because I lived with them. As time went on, there was an occasion when I was living in Namaquiland with my family, and she comes from Namaquiland. And his parents, my, my uncle is my mom's brother, so their parents come from the Macron area. Now, she decided to buy a van because she was into sales. She would make stuff and then go take it up to them to sell. 
she passed out to to drive he knew how to drive and he had a license so the two of them would leave their home in kensington this couple that has always been in a fight they retired now and this is their their retirement outcome and they visit us in the macaulay and then they tell us the story of how she did not change the gears when she came up and how he assisted her with all of this now was this love endures forever in spite of the toxicity because yeah. it did destroy some of their children uh, you know but they stuck together now i i've not had a debate i haven't had a conversation with why they were they were there but i can tell you from the kind of what system that i've encountered in terms of pastoral counseling and care love seems to be the last thing that goes through that falls through the cracks it somehow i still love you but because mm. you don't change your behavior not improving who you are and that you bringing such toxicity into our relationship and into our family we must say no to that and if you're not going to change then there needs to be a separation you we yeah. need to leave because we're not going to allow this wrongness to continue to defile what we started up because i often take couples back to when you started up what you were like then why have you changed to the worst now mm-hmm. um but you see i i want to dare to say this in my view most men would enjoy the fact that the woman would bear all things mm-hmm. i just want to add and not be too long in a pastoral setting that i wasn't um uh, the person who was the pastor listening to the, con- the the context i was the training priest i was training i was so my director put me into that context to listen and also to see how he dealt with the issue so i learned for example that the person who brings the issue to you and brings the partner with you so they both there now i've grown in my understanding because i didn't learn it there was that if they both there then i'm assuming they both want to fix the problem yeah but i didn't learn it in that context i learned it much later in you know what when i was doing things on my own that i learned that so what i picked up in that context was she who had the problem raised it okay so he doesn't come home fridays he only see mondays that and the children ask me and the main thing was interesting i don't know what to tell them when the children ask me mummy where is daddy yeah that was like the main thing absent father uh, absent husband weekends so he listened attentively to everything and then when she had now finished narrating what she thought this was the conflict she, uh, the, the reverend looked to him and says so what is his response to what she says and you know it's never left me what that man said that day in afrikaans he said it but um and he said father say verstaan me that ek die man nie jesus so 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 the problem is not that i do what i do is the fact that she doesn't understand who i am to this family so so that 
he couldn't even see that his behavior caused so much anger, frustration, um, worry, because and and so in my time serving there, I don't think they got a divorce. Whether that divorce did happen later on, I can only assume if they continued that way. But I certainly believe in most cases that I've been engaged with, love is almost the last thing to leave the situation. But I don't believe, because the question one needs to have, if you bringing all this toxicity in, is there still a marriage? Because when you married, it wasn't based on the toxicity. It was based on love. Indeed. And I think we can leave it there. Thank you very much for this conversation, Father. And as you said in the end, um, I, you didn't say it, you implied it, uh, that we men really need to do much, much better than we currently do. Thank yeah. you very much. This has been another engaging conversation. Thanks, Lindsay. And um, I just wanted to say in conclusion is that we have planned that um, now that you know, we have a sense of, I suppose, in some way, we have a sense of where COVID is and so on. The work that's been visiting me in terms of looking at parish and all the, the things that parish covers, inclusive of family, um, the word rebuilding, how do we, how do we rebuild life again? Um, so on, so the month of February is going to be, has been designated Family Month. Mm -hmm. The Mother's Union will play a huge role because their focus is family. And we have themes for every week starting the 6th of February to the 27th of February. Uh, uh, the, 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 the major theme is back to basics, um, rebuilding family life. And we're going to be looking at things like brokenness and dysfunctional family life. We're going to look at things like um, communication within the family, healthy communication with the family. We're going to look at things like relationships within the family. And then the last one would be quinonia, the recovery of communion within family life. Mm -hmm. And on the second week and on the fourth week, we have psychologists who will come and share in the service around the two themes of that week. We'll be trying to re create a, um, a liturgy based on the normal things, but with perhaps the structure, but, but with perhaps words that of worship and prayer and reflection and praise based on, you know, family. Yeah. And then um, we're hoping that they'll be, you know, they're going to be making bookmarkers for people on Sunday, starting Sunday and every week following. We'll be, we'll be in purely flip the themes as well as a prayer that I'm encouraging each family to gather even for a short while and pray that prayer around family life. So I just thought I'd do a bit of advertising and marketing for that. And if anybody out there has any ideas on how we could um, address those issues, those issues, then please let us know. I, will, I do value your input.